Friends, friends, how are you? No, you're not doing so well. That's all right. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. My name is Thomas. If we haven't met yet, I get to be on staff here at the Erie campus, and it's a joy for me to open up God's Word. We are in a series in the, uh, in the Old Testament around God's epic, historic account of God freeing his people from a place of bondage in Egypt and bringing them to a place of promise. And one of the things we've been talking about is that Exodus is, is written that we would know God. That it is that we would know who he is, not as we would imagine him to be, or we would hope he would be, or we would fashion him to be, but as he is, and as he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And so the study of Exodus is to study the God who makes himself known, because he desires that you and I would know him, that we would know who he is. And then in light of knowing who God is, we might understand who we are. And so the story of Exodus is God's story of who he is and bringing people in a place of being stuck in bondage, in slavery, and bringing them to a place of promise, of life that he has given his people. And so we're kind of in the middle of the story, kind of in the, in the beginning part of it, they're still in Egypt, they haven't like broken free from Egypt quite yet. But if you remember the last few weeks we've been looking at, as God set up the scene, as God has been revealing to us in his story of what his plan of deliverance is, that God has been on the move. That God is the one who has heard and has seen and he knows he's intimately acquainted with his people's sufferings and hears their, their prayers and their cries. And it's the God who hears and sees and knows that's now showing that he's on the move. And he has called to himself a man named Moses, his chosen instrument to bring freedom to his people out of Egypt to this promised land. And we see the reluctance of Moses last week in, in which God is showing Moses what he has set him up for. He needs to go back to Egypt. He spent 40 years having fled Egypt, now in Midian as a shepherd, now to go back. He's going to be this chosen instrument to bring maybe 2 million Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. And Moses is reluctant to believe this, but eventually Moses does believe. And the first instructions that God gives Moses is to return to Egypt and to tell the leadership of Israel, gather the elders and show them the signs and wonders that I have shown you, and tell them what I have told you, that I hear, and I see, and I know, and I'm on the move to bring you out of slavery into freedom. And so at the end of chapter 4, where we left off last week, Moses goes and does this. He's, he's finally trusting God. He's beginning to trust God, and he goes and returns back to Egypt, and there he tells the people that, that what God has said, what God has done, and what God will do. And there's this great ending to chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you brought your Bible today. If you didn't, no worries. There's one in front of you in the seats. It's a white Bible. Or maybe you can grab one online on your phone or tablet. But go to Exodus chapter 4. And we're going to remind ourselves of how chapter 4 ended. As Moses has told the people of Israel how great it is that God is on the move. Then of chapter 4, verse 31, having heard the words of Moses and seen the mighty deeds, it says the people believed and they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. Here are these people who have lost hope, perhaps they're so discouraged, and here's Moses back on the scene, been missing for 40 years, and he arrives back on the scene with this message, boys, Ladies, gentlemen, God's on the move, and we're out of here. 
God has promised that he has now come down and he has chosen me to be an instrument of deliverance for us and he's going to display his mighty works and we are going to leave Egypt and go to the land that he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I am here to bring about this message. And it says they believed him and they worshipped. Like this is that mountaintop experience where all of life seems a bit of a ruin, a train wreck. And then God speaks into your life. Maybe he shows you something about himself. And all of a sudden there's like renewed hope. Things could be different. And people begin to worship God. They're starting to place their trust in God that God might be able to do what he says he's going to do. Here's a question for you. Who's the most trustworthy person in your life? I mean, this is the person that you call if you go to jail and you only get one phone call. And the reason they're most trustworthy is because you actually know their number. There's only like three numbers you know. You know your number, you know their number, and you know 911, okay? But since you're already at the police station, you can't call 911. So who's the most trustworthy person in your life that you would call? And what has made them the most trustworthy person? Is it not that you know them through perhaps shared experiences? That they have proven themselves to be trustworthy? Let me ask you this question. Is God the most trustworthy person in your life? I'm just going to admit to you. I do not trust God as I should. Now, for some of you, are like, whoa, time out, time out. If there's one person in the room that should say they trust God as they should, it should be the guy in the front with the microphone. But let me just be really honest with you. I, I don't. I don't trust God as I should. And, and we as a community, I think many of us would say we trust God. But our trust in God kind of ro rolls with this ups and downs of life. And our trust in God flows with the circumstances of our life. And so when it seems to be put together and we come into this place and it was like the best week ever, yeah, we trust God. And then when we just have lived a week, they just have lost perspective where there's been a financial hiccup, there's new health news, there's tension in relationship. It's like, ah, is God really going to pull through for me? And our trust of God ebbs and flows with this roller coaster of our circumstances. And we don't trust God as we should despite our circumstances. And perhaps a lot of that is attributed to our lack of knowing God. Is that the reason the person came to mind who you trust is because they have shown themselves to be trustworthy. And you have come to know them as trustworthy. Here's the thing about relationships with people. And it works with God, too. Trust is probably the essential quality of a strong relationship, is it not? And trust is probably either growing into that relationship or going out of that relationship right now. It's either growing into that relationship as you get to know more and more and more about a person. Think about when you were first married, you trusted your spouse, and then as the years have gone on, either trust has grown into that marriage through knowing that person more and more, or has gone out of that marriage because you know that person more and more. And Israel doesn't know God the way that they should. They've been in slavery for 400 years. And Moses doesn't know God as he should. And what does God do to help build their faith, to grow their faith and their trust in him? As he continues to reveal who he is. That our picture of who God is will become increasingly large. So that our trust of God 
would continue to grow in him in spite of our circumstances. And so here at the end of four, it's like God shows up and reveals a little bit about who he is and they get to know a little bit that he's met with this man named Moses and God's on the move and he's gonna free him and they believe it. Oh man, they're gonna believe, they're gonna put their trust in God for the first time in a long time. And it leads them to this worship service. This is awesome. God is great. They probably sang both contemporary songs and old traditional hymns. I mean, it was just like amazing worship service. And then chapter five opens. And Moses, who was told to bring this news and this display to the leadership of Israel, is also called to bring this news and this display to the leadership of Egypt, which is the king. His name is Pharaoh. And so chapter five opens with this. Afterwards, this great worship service, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. I mean, this would take a great act of trust of knowing who God is, that you're going to still be okay, and following his call to humble yourself and release slaves from your providence. And Moses gets a very different response with the king of Egypt than the leadership of Israel. The king of Egypt says, no, no. I don't know who the Lord is. And that will be one of the main threads that's going to come through what God will do next in the plagues. That the king of Egypt says, I don't know. And so because I don't know who he is, I refuse to obey what he says. Because I don't know who he is, I refuse to obey what he says as having any authority over my life. And you know what Pharaoh does? Pharaoh then, because he's so hard of heart, because he's filled with wickedness, I mean, he's the offspring of his father and his grandfather, the one who has enslaved these people, that has murdered their children. Pharaoh has that same wicked hard heart. And you know what Pharaoh says? He looks out and says, these people are idle in their work. Maybe they, they took a break. Maybe they said, okay, Moses is really going to save us, so why do we have to go into work today? I don't know. But now Pharaoh looks out and says, these people are lazy and idle wicked. They want to go out in the wilderness and worship this God I don't know about? Let me tell you what's going to happen. I am going to increase their workload. One of the things that they had to do was they had to build these bricks out of the clay and straw of the Egyptian earth. And the reason they would build these bricks is because the bricks were used to build the monuments and the palaces and the houses of Egypt. And one of the key elements of the brick making was the straw that you have to go get straw and bring it and you'd mix it. It's a binding agent that causes a brick to be stronger, more robust, so that it would survive the inclement climates in Egypt. Now, the straw was often, was historically provided for their brick making. And in order to make their labors harder, this pharaoh receiving this word says, no, I'm doubling down on what we've been doing. And I will increase their burdens and things will now get worse for them. Because you have spoken up and told me that there's a God who wants to free them. And so now they have to go get their own straw. And the people cry out, how is this possible? How can we gather our own straw? And the taskmasters and the foremans come before Pharaoh himself. 
and cry. Their burden is too much. Because Pharaoh has said, you have to go gather your own straw to make the same amount of bricks as you did days before. And so now the burden is longer, greater. And after they meet with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh rejects their cries, and says, no, you, you keep going back out there, and you do what I say. I own you. They leave the presence of Pharaoh, and they pass by Moses and Aaron, who they had just heard that God was going to free them, and they had a worship service with him. Now they pass Moses and Aaron, and they say this. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Like Moses, you showed up, and we believed you. We, we trusted you. We trusted God, maybe for the first time in a long time. And we started following, and it's gotten nothing but worse. It's got nothing but worse. Now Moses doesn't say, Go, but okay, it's all according to the plan. Don't worry, we can trust God. Now here's Moses. And Moses is feeling something very similar. Here's what Moses says. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. You failed. Isn't it kind to know that God will allow us to come and be honest with him? Like he's a big God that lets us beat on his chest and say, this is not how it should be. It's also helpful to know that when we begin to follow God, things often get harder. They just do. And this idea of come to Jesus, follow Jesus, and everything gets better and easier for you just isn't true. You sit in this service and you hear that God wants you to be free from some of the bondage that you're in with habits or relationships. And in order to do that, you have to make a confession to a loved one, a spouse, a family member. You have to let your boss know about something that's been going on, things that you've been stealing or habits that you've been having. And then in this confession, now there's a rippling in your relationships and perhaps you have to go do new activities and you find yourself in counseling or you find yourself in rehab. And what happens? Life is all of a sudden a lot harder. And you're thinking, that's the last time I listened to God that he would say, come to me, confess, open up, let God come into your life and, and show you the way to freedom. And I did that. And nothing but more hardship has come my way. How does God answer? Does God say, yeah, I blew it. I couldn't do it. Now in chapter 6, it's the next verse, verse 1. He listens to his people. He hears Moses out. And then he's going to remind Moses of who he is, what he said. That Moses has somehow forgotten what God has made known about himself according to the plan that, that he had given to Moses. This was how people were going to be set free. And so verse 1 says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Moses, now you're going to see what I told you I was going to do. 
You have forgotten who I am. You've forgotten what I've said and what I've promised. Now you will see what my sovereign hand will do in carrying out all the plans and promises that I have already told you. And so now we're going to put things into action as I told you we were going to in the very beginning. There was no reason for you to lose trust, lose confidence, and lose faith in me. Despite the circumstances, I want you to know me, know the things that I have said, that you would have confidence, despite what's going on, that I am trustworthy, that I am good, that I am faithful to accomplish all the things that I have promised you. So let's remind ourselves, what has God told Moses about the exodus, of what to expect when he returned to Egypt? that Moses has forgotten about God. Let's go back to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, we'll start in verse 19. This is God speaking with Moses out in Horeb, giving him the plan of calling him and gonna send him, commissioning him back to Egypt. This is what God told Moses before he ever returned. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. I know who Pharaoh is. I know the hardness of his heart. And he will not listen to anything unless a greater, stronger authority displays himself in his life. And so I know, this is what I sovereignly know, that the king of Egypt is so bent on wickedness that he will not go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Remember what did 6 tell us? Now you will see what I will do with my hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Was he going to let the people go? Right when Moses showed up and said, the Lord said, we're out of here. We already packed our bags. No. He said, no, Pharaoh's going to be reluctant to that. And he's not going to be convinced unless a display of a greater authority and power is done in his life. And so I'm going to do that with my hand. And then after those displays, then Pharaoh will let you go. Now, Moses, you will see what I told you all the way back in Horeb, what I would do. Chapter 4 reminds us also what God said to Moses. This is chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses before he returns to Egypt, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go now okay you look at this and you go okay time out god's gonna harden pharaoh's heart so that he won't let the people go why doesn't god just soften his heart making him more compassionate towards these people and then in his kindness let them go release them to go why does god why does it say here that god's going to harden pharaoh's heart to display his wonders to cause Pharaoh to drive out, to cast out, not just to release, but to drive out from his presence the people of Israel. It's because God's already working with the condition of a hard heart in Egypt. It's not as though, remember, when we got back to Egypt, who did Moses meet? Did he meet a compassionate, soft-hearted, kind king? No. This is the offspring of many Pharaohs whose heart is already hard. It's already bent towards wickedness. So God's going to use the natural disposition of who this man is against himself. He's going to use the hardness of Pharaoh's heart against himself. And so what we see 
throughout the story of Exodus is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart until it completely surrenders. And this hardening of his heart is very interesting because it's mentioned 20 times throughout the story of Exodus of the condition of Pharaoh's heart. And I was talking to Perry Marshall. He's the, uh, uh, the leader of adult ministries on the Boulder campus and actually preaching this message on our Boulder campus today. He's also one of the authors of our life group questions and further studies for our series that you can gab, grab online. And we were talking about how the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is revealed throughout Exodus. That God, before, before Moses ever goes back, says, I'm going to harden his heart. And the question is, well, how is God going to harden his heart? His heart is already hard. It's this, that God is going to give Pharaoh himself uninterrupted. I'll give you the hardness of your heart uninterrupted. I will allow it to get harder and harder and harder until I harden it. And as we study the book of Exodus, we see that as it speaks about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, there's three ways it talks about it. One, that Pharaoh's heart is hard. And you're not sure who did the hardening. Then there are times when it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And there are times when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so you see both God, Pharaoh, and his heart all at work here. Here's a quick snapshot of what some of this looks like in Exodus. It says in verse 4.21, which we just read, I will harden his heart. In chapter 7, 3, reminding Moses while he's in Egypt what he said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then what we see in the very beginning of the whole episodes is that Pharaoh's heart was hard. And then we see that Pharaoh's heart was hard even after the first plague. And then we see after the second and fourth plague that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But then we see that Pharaoh's heart was hard and the Lord hardened his heart at the sixth plague. That here is God now the active agent. But now it's not like God does this and then it's just over. No, because once again, now Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then it says that Pharaoh's heart was hard. Now finally, it's solidified that God has made his heart rock solid. Now how did he do this? Did he take someone who's soft and kind and said, you'll be my puppet. And I will do what you don't, I'm going to put you against your own appetites. And I will force you to have a hard heart in spite of anything you want so that I can display my works. No. God's already using the material that Pharaoh has. And the way he does it is he lets Pharaoh's heart harden by giving him himself. Tim Mackey, who leads the Bible Project, put it this way. That God confronts evil by turning it back on itself. Nahum Sarna, who writes one of my favorite commentaries in Exodus, puts it this way. In brief, the idea of God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart is that he utilizes a man's natural proclivity towards evil. He accentuates the process in furtherance of his own historical purposes. This is the greatest judgment, is when God says to you, I give you, you, uninterrupted. The hardness of your heart, the unforgiveness of your heart, the bitterness of your heart, I'll never stop it. I'll never interrupt or bother you. I'll never stop it with my grace and invite you. I'll just let you have you. And Pharaoh is hardened. And he uses the hardness of Pharaoh's heart against himself. And he's going to put on 10 spectacular works to display his awesome power so that the world will know who God is. He will use Pharaoh's heart as an instrument, 
as he uses Moses' heart as an instrument to display his mighty, awesome power. That the world would know that God is awesome in power and active in our present lives. And the God who has done this is the same God who hears your prayers today, who sees your suffering today, who is acquainted with your struggles today, this same God. And so we want our idea of who God is to be enlarged this morning to whatever we're struggling with, whatever doubts we have to say, wow, God is big enough, trustworthy enough for me to run to. And so I want you to see that God desires in these 10 plagues to make himself known to Moses, to Israel, to Egypt, to Pharaoh. Let's open up to chapter six. Here, God tells Moses to go before Israel and tell them why we're about to have a series of miracles, of mighty works. Chapter six, verse six. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And this is part of who God is. This is the kind of God who has heard and sees and knows. He's the God who's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. He's also the one that makes right and fitting judgments on wickedness and sin. Wherever he sees that. If it's in Egypt or amongst his own people, God is the God who brings right and fitting judgments. And then verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know, I want you to know, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. These things are going to be displayed so that you know, I'm your God. I am for you. And this is a glimpse of my awesome power present in your life. That you would know who I am and that I am for you. And then Moses is called to go and speak to the Egyptians. Speak to Pharaoh. Chapter 7, verse 4. says, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will let my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. That when I bring out Israel, when I display my awesomeness, it is so that they would know that I am the Lord. What did Pharaoh say as soon as Moses showed up? I don't know the Lord. Never heard of him. This is going to be done so that they would know who is the Lord. Who is the Lord of the earth? That Egypt would know. That Israel would know and Egypt would know. And Moses would know. The first plague is turning the Nile into blood. Unusable water source for days. Chapter 7, verse 17, as Moses stands before Pharaoh, he says this, Thus says the Lord, by this, by this act that I'm about to do, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Why is God doing this? It is the God who makes himself known so that the world would know him, would know him and trust him. And serve him. This is the God who makes himself known to his people and to the Egyptians through mighty deeds. 
And so there are these 10 episodes, 10 plagues. They come on first with the Nile, and then frogs, and you have gnats. Then we have pestilence, and we have livestock going down, and then we have hail. of all sorts of God's miraculous works and displays in Egypt. And as you read them, as you flip through here going, hail and boils and frogs and gnats, thunderstorms, darkness, they seem so earthy, almost natural. Like, aren't some of these phenomenons recorded in today's history? In fact, some people have written and said, these are just natural phenomenons that Egypt is familiar with. And I think they're right, except for this. That Pharaoh, the king of his domain, assumed that he was the divine leader. And here's God taking what he should be in charge of, Pharaoh, thinks he should be in charge of. His, his familiarity with these things of pestilence, boils, play, of, of gnats coming in and saying, no, I am the ultimate authority. And I can call them in and I have the power to dismiss them out. I can call them in for tomorrow morning, and I can send them out when I'm done. This is more than a natural phenomenon. But he doesn't need some supernatural cosmos, new planets, all of a sudden firecrackers in the sky. No, he says, what you are familiar with, I will use against you to display that I am the authority over all the things that is the known world, that you would know, that you would know that I am the Lord of the earth awesome in power, active in presence. That you would know Egypt, that you would know Israel, that you would know Moses, that you would know Pharaoh, who I am. And for the children of God, our faith and trust will grow as we know who is our Lord. And what's amazing is as these plagues unfold, Egyptians' hearts begin to turn. Egyptians' heart begins to turn. Now, I don't know when exactly they begin to turn. They record for us a couple times that they're turning. For me, it would have been the third plague, the gnats. I mean, come on. They're like these biting, stinging insects. I think of like a mosquito. My one experience with mosquitoes that makes me even think about a plague in which filled the land of Egypt is being in Canada. So I was, I was fishing in Canada with my brother and some great friends, and we flew into the backcountry of Canada. And the first day was just getting out of kind of the, the backwoods of Canada through a really small canal out into the open river and waters. And the first night we had to stay kind of in the woods. And I mean, there is a, there is a hum, there is a noise to the presence of mosquitoes in Canada. And they're the size of small dogs. It's crazy. And at nighttime, it gets really, really, really bad. And so when they come out at night, you just want to get inside your tent. And what you do is you get everything ready to jump inside your tent. You open it, you jump in, and you close it. And then there are, there are a few that got in, and you turn on your headlamp, your flashlights, and then you just kind of bloody the tent by killing all the mosquitoes. So you can sleep that night. Well, my brother and I, we opened it up, and we jumped in, and we turned around, and we couldn't figure out, like, how to close it right away. Something got caught. And so it's like, like, into the tent. So we finally zip it up, and it's hopeless, right? Like, they're in there with you. And then we said, well, turn on your headlamp and your flashlight, and we'll kill them. The flashlight's in the bag outside the tent. And so for the next 45 minutes, all we could do was kill every mosquito as it landed on us. In our ear, in our nose, on our eyes. You were just smacking yourself, and you're just bloodying your face. And I'll tell you, I was going to go insane I was going to go insane. 
Now, that was just 45 minutes. I cannot imagine experiencing one of these plagues. And as the Egypt experience it, their hearts are turning towards the Lord. And as Israel is experiencing it, they are seeing who their God is. And so what we see, I'll, I'll show you on the screen real quick. This is Exodus 9. Egypt's hearts begin to turn. And this is after, this is after the, the pestilence had come in, and now there's going to be hail, and it's going to kill all the livestock. And Moses has made this known to both Egypt and Israel. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the house so they wouldn't die. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. What this shows is that Moses is making it known what God's going to do before he, he does some of these things. And the people of Egypt are paying attention. They're learning in real time who is the Lord. And some of Pharaoh's servants are beginning to fear the Lord and heed his word and follow him. It's astonishing. After this, there's another plague of the locusts. The locusts come in. They're going to destroy every green plant that's left. And they're going to lay Egypt totally desolate. And swarms of locusts are, are just terrifying. There are swarms of locusts that have happened here in our own world in the last few months. Back in June, there was a swarm of locusts off the island of Italy in Sardinia. that was recorded of locusts flying in and devouring crops. It was said in some of the British papers that a swarm of locusts, just one swarm of locusts, can contain more than a billion, billion with a B, locusts. They can cover a thousand square miles, one swarm, and can devour up to 40 tons of food in one day. And that was experienced here just back in June. This picture is actually off the Horn of Africa. And both of these instances, either in Sardinia or in the Horn of Africa, are right around kind of Egypt. That Sardinia is to the northwest of, of, of Egypt, and on the, the Horn of Africa is kind of down to the southeast uh, of Egypt, encountering this today. And God has the authority to call them in and dismiss them out. And begin you see that people's hearts are recognizing that Pharaoh's not God. That he might be a scary, wicked, hard-hearted man, but there is someone greater, and that is the Lord, the God of the Hebrew people. And so even some of the magicians and servants of Pharaoh himself begin to talk to Pharaoh and say, you're missing it. Do you not understand? Do you not see what's happening? Can you not figure out that God is the Lord of the earth? This is Exodus chapter 10, after the locusts come in. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Is ruined. Your hard heart has ruined our country because you do not understand and you will not submit and surrender to who God is making himself known to be. Many, many Egyptians will leave with the Hebrew people on their exodus. You know that? I was just wondering, like, what would that be like to say, man, I've seen the displays of your God, and I've come to know who he is. And if you're following him out to worship, 
I want to follow too. It is the God who makes himself known because he desires that we would know who he is. Not as we would want him to be or fashion him to be or think that he should be or couldn't be, but who he has revealed himself to be in his words. It's the greatest thing that we would know God. That is what orients us to life. Life is, seems to be so scattered sometimes, so confusing, disoriented. And you're wondering, what's going on? And apart from knowing who God is, as J.R. Packard would say, it's like going through life with a blindfold. You're constantly struck in the face, caught off guard, because you don't know who the Lord of the earth is. Do you not understand yet? Do you not know? Because of your hard heart towards God, you have ruined Egypt. Pharaoh continues to boast in himself and his own strength. But the prophets tell us, if we're going to boast in anything, if we're going to find our confidence, our trust in anything, it should be something very different than our own strength. Here's Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. If there's one thing to deposit your trust in, it's just that you would know God and understand him, know that he is steadfast in love, that he is awesome in power, that he's actively present in our lives. This is what we boast in. Not in our own strengths, not in our own resources, not our own accolades or accomplishments, but in this, that I know God, that I know him, and that he knows me. I know him, and he knows me. That's what eternal life is. Jesus tells us in John 17, eternal life is this, real, abundant, never-ending life is this, that they would know God the Father and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ, his Son. And that is what we are passionate about, is knowing God. As parents, we want our children to, kn to know that the pursuit of seeking and knowing God is of the first utmost importance in their life. This is why we love our Kids Quest department, is that those of you who serve back in Kids Quest is let the children know who God is, that he's knowable, and to follow him and serve him. King David, he, he doesn't write any parenting books, but he had punctuated moments of good parenting in his life. And one is near the end of his life when he's speaking to his son Solomon, getting him ready to take over as king and actually finish this work of building the temple that God has left for Solomon to do. And this is what, his this is what David as a father tells his son of the focus of his life as the king of Israel. This is 1 Chronicles 28. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. See, Solomon, the most important thing as a king, as a king, is not your chariots, it's not your bank account, it's not your accomplishments, it's this. My son, know God. Know 
God. Know him. He's the one that knows your heart already. He knew the heart of Pharaoh. He knows your heart today. He's the one that knows all hearts. And he desires that you would know him. In such a way that if you would seek him, if you would seek him, he would be found by you. Anyone who seeks God will find God because he desires to be found. But if you say, forget him, forsake him, my heart will not know God. Then he will give you you and let you have you forever. He'll cast you off forever. We want to be a people that seeks after God. When I told you in the beginning that I don't trust God as I should, I'm being honest with you. But that's why I am daily, regularly, in his word, saying, God, I want to know more about you. And then I want to know what I, what I know about you. I want to turn it into my prayer life and what I meditate on and what I think about. So what I know about you becomes what I know of you, personal, in relationship, in experience, in my own life. That despite my circumstances, my trust in you does not follow my day. But my trust in you remains constant. Knowing who God is. Despite the week I had or the week that's coming. This is the hope it is to be a Christian. Is that God is known by his son Jesus Christ. That's how he's made known. And for the Christian it is to know God through the work, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To follow him means that we know God now and forever. J.R. Packard, the Canadian theologian, writes this great book called Knowing God. Guess what it's about? It's about math. No, it's not. It's about knowing God. It's a great read. So many quotable quotes. But the confidence, the peace of the Christian that we walk with on Monday, that the world doesn't, is this. This is what J.R. Packard says in Knowing God. There is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them, and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life, through death, and on forever, and on forever. So here's the question. Where are you needing to trust God in your life? Where are you needing to trust God in your life? And on the flip side of that, what is it that you need to know about God that makes him more trustworthy to you today? What is it that you need to know about him Maybe you don't know. You just come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what I need to know, but I want to. And so I seek it. I want to know it, that you might be found. That as I grow in knowing who you are, I grow in trusting who you are in spite of my circumstances. Your awesome power displayed actively in my present life. That's what we want to know. That's what we want to be, is people who know God and trust him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God that's knowable, that you are a God that is present. I love you, God, because you are awesome in power. And you are beyond us, and yet you are so near. Father, there are so many of us in this room that need to know that you are trustworthy and good right now. And so, Lord, I pray that there might be even a small glimpse of, of who you have made yourself known to be in Exodus that will help them have confidence being the same God in their life today. Lord, may every single woman and man in this room be on a constant journey of seeking you, that we might know you more and grow in our trust of you day by day as we step from today into eternity, Lord. May our confidence come 
resting in the peace that we know you and you know us all through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand together.